Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about all kinds of Sasquatches. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, we've got shout-outs going out to the patrons. The patrons are what makes this show happen. So don't skip ahead. It only takes like 30 seconds. Just bear with me for a second. We have shout-outs going out to... Logan, Charles, Lori, Alec, Roger, Adam, Karen, Ethan, Duran, Nikki Loves, James, Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, and Stephen Cher. Hey, howdy, hi. Jane and Jennifer, Heather G, your spooky neighborhood skinwalker, Zuzus, what's it? Nico Cher and the Mouse, Mark and Tina, Tortuga, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia, Tony the Magician. I still want to see a magic trick. Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Tom, Libido Works, Glacier Main, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Couch, Bentman, 666, Amber, Scott, Andrea, Melody, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Becca, Jake, Charlotte, the Beasties, Jen, Elizabeth, Sherry, Art Muffin, Tim, Kenneth, Ricardo, nope, sorry, Ricky, Ricardo. Alexandra, George, Zozo the Demon, <laughs> Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Russell, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Paul, Paula, Jerry, Jeff, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren Strawn, hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn, Ryan Loves, Melena, Jade, Nanashi, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan, with two special shout-outs, as always, to Joe Teague and to my boy Stitch in that, wait, where is it? That painting right there by an amazing fan. All righty. With that out of the way, let's get right on into paranormal news because I got a lot to get to and I want to make sure that I actually get this episode out today. So. the first story in paranormal news i was too busy playing to actually get it pulled up first story in paranormal news pentagon ufo boss to step down next month this one i have thoughts let me just put it that way but let me read you the story first i'm ready to move on i've accomplished everything i said i was going to do sean kirkpatrick said so the head of the pentagon office responsible for investigating ufos you know the one that's been in the news ad nauseum for the past like year yeah, he's immediately stepping down from his post in December. So, Sean Kirkpatrick, the head of the All-Domain Anomalous Resolution Office, is retiring from the federal government after nearly 18 months on the job. 
He uh, deferred his planned retirement last year to take on the job atop uh, Arrow and now feels he has achieved his goals. What goals? You haven't achieved any goals. Yeah, you've gotten Arrow started, but you haven't given anything to the public yet. What goals have you done? Uh, he says, I'm ready to move on. I've accomplished everything I said I was going to do. He still wants to finish a few tasks, including wrapping up the first volume of a historical review of the unidentified anomalous phenomena issue before leaving. His deputy, Tim Phillips, will lead the office in an acting role until the Pentagon hires a permanent replacement. Look, I want to talk to this guy. And then I want to talk to Tim Phillips as well. You have not accomplished any goals. You got the program started but let's wait until we've actually got a like great report for the American public or the, the world, really, not even the American public. Put a report out, a verified report with data, and then go, now I've accomplished everything I wanted to do. You guys wanted to see UFOs? Well, boom, UAPs are real. There you go. Sure, I can get behind that. But leaving this early... I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me, nor does the fact that they keep saying they're going to give the American public all the information they can. No. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News, Air Force officer breaks silence over red glowing UFO sighting. He said this is not a joke. The object was seen over California's Vandenberg Air Force Base in 2003, and he's finally coming out to light with uh, telling us about it. A former U.S. Air Force security officer, ooh, I almost stumbled on that one, has spoken publicly for the first time about a UFO sighting in California 20 years ago. In October of 2003, military contractors were working for Boeing and Air Force police when they witnessed an unidentified flying object, or now called UAPs, described as a gigantic floating red square flying over an Air Force base in California. The object was over 100 yards long. Let me read that part back to you. 100 yards long. A glowing red square the size of a football field was seen hovering over a launch site at Vandenberg Air Force Base. Um, the incident was not spoken about publicly for two decades, but recently came to light during sworn testimony given before Congress by Lieutenant Ryan Graves back in July. You know that thing that I was just talking about that's been in the news all the time from the last story. Uh, let's see, now in XUASF. USAF, there we go, senior patrolman, Jeff, whoa-oh, Nuchitelli? Sure, why not? He's come forward to shed further light on the eerie events. He said, this is not a joke. These are contractors with top secret clearance. These guys are trained observers. They've posted out there, you know, 24-7. They're posted out there 24-7. They know what aircraft look like. They know what fishing boats look like. He said the Red Square also has a second reported encounter when two of his fellow USAF police patrol officers got buzzed by the UFO. He recalled the events of the day in 2003, saying he was getting ready to jump into the car when he heard when all hell broke loose, he should say, and then started screaming over the radio. It's coming right at us. It's coming right for us. Now it's right here. It was hard to hear because they were screaming and they were scared. This is all playing out on the radio, and the dispatchers are communicating with them, trying to get more information. It's just chaos, you know? The dispatchers are basically advising everyone to go on alert, trying to get information. When I showed up, it's just mayhem. Everyone's excited. They're scared. Everyone's freaked out. He said that things calmed down at the scene when the object just flew off. He also said that uh, 
the uh, he he interviewed about six people who witnessed the event following the alleged sighting. Basically, what they described was the object came in, was moving strangely erratically. It got bigger and brighter as it came in. Then it came at a high rate of speed and flew right up to the entry control point and then stopped. They all just stared at it, and it just shot off. The UFO was described as basically just a big square object the size of a football field. See, I told you. Silently floating over the launch pad, red in color and glowing. As far as I know, it wasn't a cube. It was just like a flattened sphere. That's weird. All right, that's really weird. I mean, the whole thing is weird, but that's really weird. He believes that about 80 people are aware of the alleged sighting. He delivered what he knows to the Pentagon's Arrow office. And that his next steps are to assist Arrow in locating more witnesses to the two October 14th, 2003 sightings. What I'm trying to do now is track down all the people because my recollection of who was there and all the particulars and the details are flawed, right? Because I wasn't there when these things happened. It's all secondhand. He said the investigator that contacted me spent a tremendous amount of time talking to me over an hour for sure. I felt these were genuinely, genuinely interested in the case and they genuinely, generally interested into looking into it, but then nothing. Ah, that's a great one. That one is a cool one. Again, when it has to do with um, people in the military or the police or, you know, in service of some kind, I take those witness eyewitness testimonies more credible. They, they know what they're looking at. They know what they see. They know what they haven't seen before. So these kinds of stories are fantastic. And if you're watching this live and you're wondering, why am I wearing a jacket, just a regular old jacket? Well, it's, well, I was going to say it's fucking cold, but it's cold for, it's cold for California this morning. Uh, it's bright and early in the morning, so it's a little chilly. It's not chilly at all. It's very warm comparative to basically everywhere else in the country, but that's why I'm bundled up just a little bit. All righty, up next in paranormal news, aliens or a foreign power? Pentagon UFO chief says someone's in our backyard. Yeah. So this week, the director of the U.S. government's UFO analyst office stated that there is evidence of concerning unidentified flying object activity in our backyard. Unfortunately, they won't ever pin down what they think it is. They said it could be foreign nations or it could be something else. But they uh, said that uh, none of the hundreds of military UFO reports analyzed by his office recently have been positively attributed to foreign activities. None. But he did say that um, they'll continue to be investigated for foreign links, trying to figure out who's behind it and what they're doing. That's about all you need from that story. Uh, let me move on to the next one, because the next one involves a Bigfoot, just like this entire episode. So I wanted to tell a, you know talk about this one. Bigfoot prints found in Wales? That's right. Some rather sizable prints, as well as a curious stick structure, were recently found in a Welsh forest, and some believe the odd finds could be connected to Bigfoot. Uh-huh. Um, no. The, uh, the discovery was reportedly made by a crew of filmmakers and Bigfoot researchers exploring a wooded area of carefully mountains. The problem is... It's the most pristine Bigfoot print that you'll Let's ever see. Ah, no, 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 no free ads. It's the most pristine Bigfoot print that you'll ever see. Uh, let me pop it up real quick. All righty, let me put this on this screen. I'll also throw it on the uh, Facebook fan page, but I wanted to show you guys just a glimpse of what this Bigfoot print work looked like because it... Uh, 
it's it's too good. It's too, too damn good. All right, here we go. Actually, I'm going to bring up the whole screen so you guys can see everything. Um, you know what? Let me play it without the audio because I got demonetized for playing it before. So, all righty. So there you see, actually, let me, let me back it up just a hair. So there you see it. The start of the toes, right here, the start of the toes. You got a cigarette lighter to the left of it so you can have a uh, idea of the size. But look at this. This is the most perfect footprint in existence. I mean, there's no leaves. There's no rocks. There's no breaks in the foot. There's no, you know, like if you look at the bottom of a foot, there's a foot pad that would be here. There's a break, a crease that would be here, and there's not enough there for me to say that there's a crease. There's a bottom of a footprint, the, the heel. All of that stuff just isn't there on this big footprint. Come on up, Rum. How are you, sweetheart? Then you're not on camera yet. You will be in a second, though, so stay up here. Stay up here. So I don't, I don't buy it is what I'm saying. I just don't buy it at all. Here you go. There's my Rum. All right, official rum sighting for those that like to watch these on YouTube. Uh, so along with the Bigfoot prints, a size 23 Bigfoot print, they also found this wood structure, which, again, it looks like a lot of the wood structures that you'll see on, you know, Bigfoot shows like Expedition Bigfoot and all those. But again, it's not so much the structure as it is the actual Bigfoot print itself. It's just too good. It really is. It's just too pristine of a footprint. In fact, I would bet money. You know what? I'm going to say right now that if you looked up big footprint to like buy big foot print cast. Let's try that. Yep. That first one, that first one is right there. looks exactly like that print. That one exactly like the print. It's just too clean. I have a feeling that somebody bought one of these casts. I bet you any money, if you were to buy one of these three casts on there, if you were to buy one of those and, and measure it, it'll be a size 23 footprint. I'm betting money now. It is just too clean. Every time that they show such a clean big footprint, there's no like sticks or anything in there either. Now that I'm looking at it, I'm going back to that video for a second. There's no sticks. There's no nothing. They cleared, they cleaned away. Yeah, they did. They cleared away all of the stuff on the bot on the on the forest floor. There's no rocks. There's no sticks. There's no twigs in the print that's like pushed down in the print. So they cleared away a section. In fact, it looks like they cleared away a section to the right of it. Hold on, I'm sharing my screen again. Um, I'm debunking this one as we go along. So if you look right here to the right of it. They cleared away all of this crap because it is completely clear where the Bigfoot is. So if they if they hadn't cleared it away and they just kind of pressed down that foot, they wouldn't have got such a clean shot of it. I'm calling BS on this one. I'm debunking it, but I'll read you the story anyway. So the story says that uh, my uh, the footprint measures a whopping 16 inches in length and uh, clear toe indentations, too clear, um... Unfortunately, this evidence is inconclusive because nobody saw what made the footprints, but based on the size alone, it does look closer to an unknown creature than a typical human. No. 
I'm calling BS on that one. That's going to be, again, I think if you were to look up or if you were to buy one of these Bigfoot print casts that I just pulled up for a quick second, if you were to buy those, I have a feeling you're going to find the exact same size, exact same looking print. Or someone just 3D printed it or just made it on their own. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, intoxicated man wearing Bigfoot costume frightens trick-or-treaters. That's right, this one comes out of Rhode Island. An intoxicated man who was wearing a Bigfoot costume scared a group of trick-or-treaters. It allegedly happened in Barrington, Rhode Island on Halloween night. Uh, It was reported that a resident called police around 6.30 p.m. after an intoxicated man wearing a Bigfoot costume joined in with a group of adults and children. They felt uncomfortable with him there. Well, yeah. Uh, The EMTs transported the man wearing the Bigfoot uh, costume to a hospital where he sobered up, and I assume... It doesn't doesn't say it in the article, but I assume he then took off the Bigfoot costume. I mean, that guy just wanted a party. He wanted to get drunk and go, it wasn't me. I know what you guys are thinking. Like, I bet you Kurt has a Bigfoot costume, which I really don't. I have an Ewok costume, but I'm not tall enough for Bigfoot. But I bet you you Kurt has a Bigfoot costume or gets in an Ewok costume and then gets drunk and runs around the neighborhood on Halloween night. It wasn't me. That's all I'm saying. Up next in Paranormal News, the last story in Paranormal News. Are ghosts scaring buyers away from an eerie-looking Boise home? Let's see. It might sound crazy, but it seems more and more people are going out of their way to buy and live in haunted homes. Yeah, Kurt here. Yes, that's what I want. I want to win the lotto, and I want to buy a haunted home. I almost said a haunted house, but you know what I mean, a haunted home. I would love that. And there's some really good ones that are still for sale right now, some really good ones, including the Shook Hotel and... um. Saginaw, Michigan. Man, that place is awesome. But they say, is it worth it? What's the appeal? Is an eerie-looking Boise listing actually haunted? If you feel like you're in the country, but but be located in the heart of Boise, this home is for you. Constructed in 1945, the three-bedroom, two-bathroom home sits on nearly an acre of land and includes a separate diminutive bonus home slash lair. That's creepy. Don't call it a lair. Um, no girl is ever going to come back to your house if you go, and I have a diminutive lair in the backyard. Uh, they say the perks don't stop there. Brand new roof, charming original hardwood floors, and a kitchen that's been tastefully updated. But it might be haunted. There we go. Uh, let's see. All right, just show me the damn, why, is it, why do you think it's haunted? Then they just go through and, and just to say that they don't like the pillows, they don't like the wallpaper, they don't like the paint. Okay, I don't give a shit about that. Where's the haunting? And it doesn't say why they think it's haunted, but they say that it's still up for sale, even though it's supposedly haunted, without telling me why they think it's haunted. Alrighty, for you guys listening on the podcast itself, let's take a quick break. For everybody here, I'll be back in two seconds, but for, for them, we'll take a quick, quick break. We are back. That's right. We're back. Um, yeah, I didn't put out an episode last week. Um, and I, I apologize for it. Come on. Come on up. No? All right. Uh, I will say that I um, I have a lot of video. This is, what, this is the problem. I've got a ton of video that I need to edit. But it turns out I'm very bad at editing video. So I'm today, 
after I get this out, release this episode, I'm going to buy a different, supposedly better video editing software that'll allow a dumb person like me to put together the all of the footage that I filmed about the Black Dahlia and all the sites that was supposed to be out in October. And obviously, since it's the 11th of uh, November, I didn't, I didn't make it in time. But um, don't worry, that video is coming. It's all been filmed, as have um, a video of the Hollywood, for, uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery and also the uh, Forest Lawn Cemetery. So I'll show you somewhat where some of the stars are buried. But again, I'm just not good at editing video. I got to get someone that's like to help me or someone that's better than me. But hopefully with this new program, I'll be able to do it. I'll get it out there. It's all excuses and I apologize, but I also have like a very heavy work life. It's like 60 hours a week. It's, it doesn't leave me a lot of times what I'm saying, but that's okay. This is going to be a good long episode all about Sasquatches. And yes, if you're a regular listener, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. If you're not a regular listener, if you're just watching this video and you're like, who is this guy on YouTube? What the hell is he talking about? Why is he making a bunch of excuses? Well, you right there, you, I'm looking at you. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. They're just, just don't, no matter what they do. And what I, what do I mean by no matter what they do? Well, you'll see in a second. Hi, Rum. Not right now, sweetheart. Uh, but before I get going on this episode, I'm going to do what so many podcasts and YouTube shows do when they take like two weeks off. I only took a week off, but when they take like two weeks off, they come back and they're all like, uh, we're back. Welcome to season 24, even though they've only been like on for four years or something. So uh, let's see. It's, if each season of Paranormal Almanac, hi, Rum, is 10 episodes long, and I've done like 245 episodes, yeah. Uh, welcome to season 24 of Paranormal Almanac. In this season, Jack Bauer will fight a Bigfoot. It's going to be a good season. All right. With that being said, come here, Rum. You want to come up on camera? Come here. Come up. No, come up. There we go. Say hi to the peoples. They love you. They love you more than me. And once you see Rum, the rule is once you see Rum on camera, you have to hit like and subscribe. Leave a comment below about how much better Rum is than me. Rum, do you want a treat? All right. Hold on a second. Two seconds. All righty, I gave Rum her treat, so she should be good for a while. Sorry for that that quick break. All righty, the first story on this episode. It actually happened 49 years ago this month. That's right, 49 years ago in November on a night just like tonight. Along this same stretch of road in a dense fog just like this. Sorry, I got stuck in large marge mode. Um... Where was I? Oh, yeah. November 1st, 1974 at Mill Race Park in Columbus, Indiana. That's when four girls saw a green, hairy monster in the woods. And, you know, they got scared because that's what happens. And rightfully so. I would, too. So they reported to the police. Then a second report involving three women who were completely unaware of the first sighting, I might add. Um, they had reported that earlier that day that they had a sighting. Then it gets worse or better for the story. Um, three girls, Tyra, Cataline, and two other girls said that they were inside their car 
when they saw movement far away in that same area, that uh, Mill Race Park, they said that uh, there, was mo- there was movement far away, and they spotted what looked like a monster between two trees in the park, but it quickly ran up to the car. She said, uh, Tyra said, that thing was throwing itself at the car. It was the most horrible thing you've ever looked at. Its face was all slimy and everything. All right, let's not monster shame the monster. Kurt here, it's not a monster. Uh, they said it was bipedal, between six and seven feet tall, having a mossy green uh, appearance. She said it was something, I don't know what it was, but it was something, it wasn't somebody wearing a costume. It was something real. They finally got their wits about them. They drove away real fast, and it gave chase. So they go to the police, and they uh, they say what happens, and that's when... The Mill Race Monster was born. That's right. They came up with the easiest name possible because it happened at Mill Race Park, and the girls said it looked like a monster. So, Mill Race Monster. Sure, we'll go with that. Now, the woman claimed to have been attacked. Their car had scratch marks on it, and they said that there was a stench as a result of the monster attack. They reported this to the police, who said they were actually kind of startled by the similarities of these reports that came in completely unconnected to each other. They said there was obviously something going on in Mill Race Park. Then, the next day, November 2nd, 1974, the newspaper The Republic printed a story entitled, Monster, Women Report Seeing Beast in Mill Race. Cool. Move ahead a few days to November 6th, The Republic printed another report, which involved two men men in their 20s. Then... Three days later, on November 9th, 1974, another newspaper, the Indianapolis Star, wrote a report of yet another encounter, this time involving two city dog catchers, men named Rick Duckworth and John Brown. Now, Rick claimed he attempted to chase the monster after it got close to them, then ran away from them. Uh, Although Rick claimed that sometime later, it might not have been a monster at all, but merely, quote, a large man wearing a green mask and green blankets. That doesn't sound anything like what the two girls had said. But at the time, though, he did say it was a monster, and he gave a description exactly like Tyra's. So it seems like he's kind of backtracking years later. Maybe he doesn't want to be associated with the monster anymore. I have no idea. Anyhow, after this article... The town filled with amateur monster hunters and other people hoping to see the monster from all around. That happens every time there's a bunch of stories about the same quote-unquote monster. Especially back then. Oh, this was the 70s. This wasn't like in the 20s. Those, anytime one newspaper article came out, everybody from all around went, whoa, there's something to do. And they all came around trying to find a monster. This was the 70s. But still, everybody from all around came out to try and see the monster. The paper said that the next night, there were supposedly over 100 cars in the park, quote, all looking for the monster, if you know what I mean. The ladies looking for the monster is, you know, parking. No? All right. Um, The crowd kept growing so much that on the 6th or maybe the 8th, 9th, or the 10th, because the details get really fuzzy depending on which newspaper article you looked back then. But anyhow, the same week as the article, the director of the city park... I think his name was Robert Gillikin, but I can't, it's not in every article. So we'll just go with that. Good old Gillikin. 
He stated that it may become necessary to close the park to the public at night, not because of the monster, but because of the public. And the park was closed to the public at night. So he did it. Yeah. Uh, police were even stationed around all entrances to prevent people hunting the mill race monster. That's right. Just like since Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, uh, people came with like guns and I'm assuming pitchforks and torches and shit trying to hunt the monster. The Columbus, what is the matter? What's wrong? Oh, you're fine. The Columbus Police Department even unofficially appointed Officer Kenneth St. John as Monster Control Officer. How cool of a title is that? I would have kept that for life if I was him. They were like, hey, what do you do for a living? Like at a bar or something, like you meet a girl. She's like, hey, what do you do for a living? He's like, oh, me? Uh, I'm a Monster Control Officer. I'm very good at my job. Although, and then I guess people would bug him to control every monster. Because it's not like the mill race monster control officer. So I guess people would like just be calling him day and night and been like, oh, I saw this monster. I saw the cookie monster. I saw Loch Ness monster. Yeah, then he snaps and then he becomes a monster. That's how you make monsters, people. It's not a good idea. I, I don't want to be the monster control officer. Although, I would like a patch that says monster control officer. I'll have to look for one of these after this episode for my, my jean jacket. Anyhow. Uh, that article by the by the, that article by the Republic, uh, somewhere between the sixth and ninth, also wrote that one of the two unnamed men said that because there had been UFOs seen over the area at the same time, the Mills Race monster might have been of alien origin. Look, everything that I can find out about this, except for that one dude, it's really Bigfooty. What they're looking at, what they smell, what they see, the size of it, it's all Bigfooty. Yeah, he might be a little bit like green tinge from like swamp or moss or whatever, but it's it's a Bigfoot, not an alien. You don't have to add alien on top of Bigfoot. The mill race monster's cool enough as is. Um, but this is actually kind of cool. They actually did one of the largest Bigfoot hunts ever on record for this monster, but Thankfully, they couldn't track him down because they would have killed him and that would have sucked. Again, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Uh, even though the Mills Race Monster uh, sightings faded almost as quickly as they began, people still report Bigfoot in that area to this day. There's a guy that uh, runs a local cryptid tracking site and he says, we get three to four reports a year. I've had people come right out and say, I've seen this eight foot tall hairy creature and I know it was Bigfoot. We had law enforcement officer come to us sometime and and he claimed to have seen the creature, but he needed to stay anonymous because of his position. Sure, I get that. Uh, the most recent report came just a few weeks ago on October 10th. I think this was like 2018. He said a man said he was hunting with two other people in Morgan Monroe State Forest in Martinsville. He was separated from the group when he heard a howl that terrified him. He said, I heard a howl that still haunts me to this day. It was the loudest howl I ever had. And I've grown up in the woods. I've heard numerous animal noises, including the crazy coyotes. This was not a coyote. It was almost as if I spooked what I believe was indeed a Bigfoot. And he was letting me know this was his territory. Pretty cool, huh? Doesn't get enough reporting, the mill race monster. But, like I said, there's a bunch of newspaper articles that were, that were um, done at that time, including Monster, woman report, Women Report Seeing Beast in Mill Race. 
They swear it's true. Six, six young women told city police Friday in two separate ports that they had seen a mill race monster once in broad daylight. And whatever it is, the six are agreed that one, it's green. Two, it's hairy. Three, it's large. Maybe six to eight feet tall and walking upright. Four, has claws. Four of the women, whose names police did not list, said that the thing about 3 p.m. Friday near the paid boat ramp in the park along White River at the west end of the 5th Street, the other two said it jumped on the hood of their car, leaving scratch marks in the paint. That was about 11.45 p.m. No one was hurt, only frightened, police said. Officers searched the area on both occasions but found nothing. They are hoping it's only a misguided hobgoblin who lost its sense of timing and doesn't know that Halloween is over for another year. Nope. There you go. But just the same, they warned other residents to take care and keep an eye out for the monster. The uh, The next article said, Judge orders eight guards free in Kent shooting. Oh, wait, no, no. It's the other article. Mill race monster hunt out of hand? Warning to would-be hunters of the so-called mill race monster issued today by police and the city park director, Robert Gilligan. Oh, it's not even Gilligan. Now it's Gilligan. Gilligan. After a night in which authorities counted dozens of individuals in cars and on foot searching the park at the west end of 5th Street along White River. Some were armed with knives, one carried a club, and authorities feared the prankster who dressed as a monster might get hurt if the quote-unquote hunters didn't hurt themselves first. Gilligan said it might become necessary to close the park to the public at night, but not because of the monster, but because of the public. 28 cars were counted in the parking lot at 11 p.m. already. First sighted last Friday, the monster was described as large, hairy, and green by six young women. Latest appearance reported by the city dog catcher, Rick Duckworth. I already told you that story. Yeah. I don't know. Rick Duckworth coming back on your in your quotes there. Uh, this last article from the Republic said that no weekend monster sightings. Today's situation report on the Mill Rake Mill Race Park Green Monster shows. No monster sighting of the green monster over the weekend. Mill Race Park grounds are to remain barricaded and closed from dusk till dawn to protect the monster's public. Yep, and then it goes on with the exact same stuff that every other news article said. But still, very, very cool. Like, I love it. If you don't know this about me, I love it when um, I can find old news stories from the time about the incidents because it just gives more weight to the incidents. I like hearing from people exactly when it happened rather than like 30 years later on a YouTube video or on some website who quoted another website who quoted 15 other websites and completely misquoted the person. I'd rather have it right from the source right then and there. So Mills, Mills Race Monster, that's a cool one. I like that one. Alrighty, let's ramp up the attacks, kind of. First one, why is it a monster? Because it scratched the hood of her car? She probably hit it with her car, and it was, like, trying to hold on for dear life. Like, every, like, um, 70s, what was that William Shatner cop show back in the day? where You know, everybody would jump on the hood of a car in, like, the 70s and 80s and kind of be, you know, bucked off. can't think of the name of that show. It'll come to me. Sadly, probably about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll be like, ah, it was this. All right, let's ramp up the attack. Let's go to uh, some online posts where people swear are real. So, Kurt here, grain of salt, these next couple of stories. The things I encountered were in 1984 and 1988 when I was 12 and 16. I'm from Fresno, California. I'm a long-haul truck driver, and I've been listening to you on and off. This is some guy, like, reporting to some radio or podcast show. Um, 
I come from a hunting family, and my father cut firewood on the weekends to make extra money, so we spent a lot of time in the Sierras. When I was 12, we went deer hunting somewhere near the, somewhere in the Kings Canyon National Forest. I don't remember, don't remember exactly where. It was my father, two of his younger brothers, and myself. My Uncle John had an old camping trailer. It had four bunks and nothing else. After hunting all day, we went to sleep. It was probably two or three in the morning. That's when something picked up the back end of the trailer and guessing dropped it from at least two feet off the ground. It was a really big drop. It jolted us all out of bed. Uh, That's when I heard something moving around outside and it was knocking over stuff. My Uncle Bobby grabbed his rifle and started to go for the door. My My dad grabbed him by the arm. My dad was dead serious. He wasn't letting him go outside. My, uh, my uncle started to argue with my dad, and my dad just shut him down. He said, we're going back to bed. This guy goes on to say his dad wasn't a nice person. He spent some time in prison and jail. Um, he wasn't scared of anything. He told me if it was a bear. He told me it was a bear, and don't worry about it, and then stopped the discussion. There's no bear that did that. Only men or a Sasquatch could have done that. If my dad thought men did it, all, I know all three of them would have been out of the doors, gun in hand. I always thought that was really strange. Then, when I was 16, we are cutting some pine wood near Mammoth's Pool near, near Yosemite National Park. He says, I believe that's the Sierra National Forest, not far from a little town named Oakhurst, where we lived for a year when I was six years old. Um, the sun had just come up. We started trout fishing in this little stream. It was really cold. There was still ice on the banks of the stream. I was half asleep. It was really quiet. There wasn't anyone around. I was just thinking how I wanted to go home and eat. I was just kind of looking around, slowly dragging my bait when something caught my eye. There was a big dead log laying on the other side of the stream, about 50 feet away. That's when I saw it. There was a Sasquatch laying down on his stomach, propping himself up on his forearms. He was hidden behind the log, looking through the end of the log that had hollowed out. He was perfectly still, his head tilted up, just watching us. The look in his eyes was so hateful, though. The guy in your intro, uh, it doesn't matter, um... He says his eyes were like a chocolate brown. I reached over and tugged on my dad's arm. He was just a couple of feet from me. He had just caught a fish, and he was rebaiting. I was so scared I could barely get the words out. I said, one o'clock on the ground by the big log. I basically whispered it, and he was annoyed like, what? And then when the word sunk in, he saw it. He said, don't move. He looked over at his 30-06, leaning against the tree next to him, but he didn't pick it up. We just froze for what was seconds, but it seemed like so long. And suddenly we heard what I guess was a tree knock over across the road behind us. It sounded like a really sharp hit line drive off baseball bat. As we looked around, he jumped from behind the log and ran across the stream. It was probably about 25 feet away, and he cleared it in three steps. He didn't look like the Patty Gorilla at all. That's the Patterson-Gimlin uh, Gorilla, Bigfoot. He said he was very tall. I would estimate between seven and eight feet. Um... He said, the only thing I could really relate him to was Andre the Giant's walk. Yeah, that seems right. Um, this Sasquatch was very thin. His shoulders were wide, but he wasn't heavily muscled like you'd normally hear about. His hair was either gray or dirty white. The hair wasn't very thick either. It was probably three or four inches long, but was more thin. He might have been old, I don't know. But he did have super big hands, I remember that, and long fingers. I saw him plant one hand on the log as he leapt over it. I've never seen anything like it. His legs were very long, though the thigh and sh- though through the shot through the thigh and short in comparison below the knee, he was amazingly quick. His face was very different looking. It didn't look human or ape. It was elongated. His nose was wide and flat, but a short ridges in the middle. I didn't see nostrils. He had a good sized forehead. His hair was almost parted where the forehead started. He didn't have much hair on his face. 
He had it coming from below his cheekbones and his big sideburns. I saw his ears and his chin, but there was nothing distinctive about him. His eyes were fairly deep set, and there was a pretty good ridge that just ran across uh, his eyes, above his eyes. Um, after he ran away, my dad grabbed me and said, now, let's go, now. And we just threw our stuff in the truck, and we took off. I asked him if he'd ever seen one before. He just nodded his head, yes. He didn't tell me whatever happened. He never told me that story. That's cool. That's way cool. That is a detailed Bigfoot encounter. That's why I had to add this one. This next one, it happened in 1978. It said November 1978 near Sedona, Arizona, around 10 p.m. This encounter was short and happened on a Highway 89A between Sedona and Cottonwood, Arizona, near a bridge crossing, a place called Dry Creek. While driving home from work around 10 p.m., we were following a car. My mom was driving, and she asked why there was some guy running down the road, and should we stop? Then this individual took two steps and crossed the road right in front of us. My mom slammed on the brakes to keep from hitting this individual, and she said to me, did you see the size of that guy? And boy, he could really jump. The most interesting thing he said was, I think that was a Bigfoot. Uh, I just looked at her and said, oh, yeah. I remember my grandfather talking about them being around here. My grandfather was a rancher in the area of the Magalon Rim. No idea. This is very interesting because this was the first time she'd ever mentioned it. I I have talked with my family in the area, and they told me there are places near Flagstaff, Arizona, at a place called Rogers Lake, that they don't like going there because weird things happen and and that the great grandpa said not to go there. The individual we saw that night was between six and seven feet tall, long, dark hair, very muscular. He crossed the road and disappeared down the side of the gully. We obviously did not stop. We continued home. We never talked about that night much, but mom always believed that Bigfoot existed. Again, very cool. Kind of non-believers seeing Bigfoot, even though their family talk about it. And that one actually gives you a place to go looking for Bigfoot. Near Flagstaff, Arizona, a place called Rogers Lake. So if you're near the area or in the area, or if you want to try and Bigfoot hunt, try that place. Maybe it's still hot. I know this was in the 70s, but still, unless it was really built up, there still might be a chance. All righty. From there, let's go to a Bigfoot that has always interested me. That's right. This is one that um, I've talked briefly about in previous episodes, but not really a lot about them. Um, I think this one's going to be determined to be real sooner than you know, other countries' Bigfoots, personally. They're called the Vietnam Rock Apes, or the Vietnam War Rock Apes. And like the name suggests, um, most of the world found out about them during the Vietnam War in Vietnam. All right, these rock apes are also known as Batutut or Nguoi Rung. They live in Vietnam, obviously. The Vu Kang Nature Reserve area, though. So again... If you're local to that area or if you have the means to go to that area, it's kind of dangerous. You'll hear why in a minute. But if you can safely go through that area, this might be the best place possible to spot Bigfoot. Uh, the area saw a ton of fighting, and it wasn't just the Viet Cong that ran had run-ins with the rock apes. No, the everyone, the American soldiers, had countless tales of run-ins. If you look them up online, if you do the Vietnam rock apes or you know, American soldier rock ape stories. There's pages and pages and pages of them on Reddit from, you know, people that either saw them or their dad was the Viet, was in Vietnam as a U.S. soldier and saw them. 
crazy cool stories. But anyhow, there's countless tales of them. Um, the name Rock Ape becomes, you know, it's very simple. Well, they like to throw rocks and they kind of look like apes. So rock apes. Uh, to the Vietnamese, they're considered a kind of Bigfoot, but not as big as the typical Bigfoot. The rock apes are typically between five and six feet tall, bipedal, bipedal, usually described as red or brown hair that covers their entire either pot-bellied body or insanely muscular body. They've been described having both, and people have seen like a group of rock apes and said some were insanely muscular and some were pot-bellied. So like me and my friends, I guess, like you and your friends, come on, don't body shame the rock apes. Um, their limbs can be, uh, gangly or overly long. They're sometimes compared to orangutans, which is interesting, but there are no known orangutans in Vietnam. Keep that in mind. Now the Vietnamese say that they're typically peaceful and keep to themselves, but when the war came into the jungle, the rock apes got territorial, so territorial, in fact, that, um, Basically, a ton of these rock ape stories came from a singular area. It came from a location that became known as Monkey Mountain on the Son Tra Peninsula. I got that wrong. I apologize. I know it's like Son Tra Peninsula. Well, whatever it's called, you, you can find it. It's Monkey Mountain. Just go to Monkey Mountain if you want to see a Bigfoot. Uh, U.S. and Viet Cong troops reportedly being attacked by creatures that were human-like, had five-plus-inch long fangs, and the ability to climb the terrain's steep rocks with ease. American soldiers reported that they were told by command or other soldiers that had been in the area longer than them to just mow the rock apes down. There are a lot of stories that, you know, the, the U.S. soldiers were like, hey, you know what? These things got to be so aggressive, so brutal, throwing rocks at us, killing soldiers, that we were told to just mow them down like from helicopters, when helicopters would land, when they would go to bed at night in the in the jungle, they'd wake up and there'd be a rock ape right there and they would just, yep, shoot, mow them down. And unfortunately, they fucking shot rock apes. Um, they said that the uh, attacks happened mostly at night, all out of nowhere, you'd just be walking through the jungle and you'd stumble across a family or a group of rock apes who then got very territorial and very aggressive. Uh, like I said, there's tons of stories about soldiers gunning them down from helicopters, throwing grenades at families of rock apes and laughing about them as the grenade blew up, uh, killing any they came upon in the jungle. It, it's just brutal. It really was. It was like every every story about rock apes is, is very aggressive, very brutal. And it's from both sides, too. The Viet Cong also told about run-ins with the rock apes. There's a story of Viet Cong on one side of the jungle and U.S. soldiers on the other side of the jungle, and they're in a firefight and a rock ape ran through the middle of it and got hit from both sides and died, obviously. And then when this, the fighting stopped for whatever reason, a little bit later, another rock ape would come and drag that one away. So there's a lot of really crazy, bizarre, I guess, cool stories of rock apes. Um, let's keep going though. At first scientists thought soldiers were just encountering, encountering orangutans. Again, originally native to Vietnam, but no longer live there. Uh, but there's no part in, the, in Vietnam that have orangutans, and they didn't match the descriptions. Soldiers were shown photos of an orangutan, but like, yeah, I know what an orangutan looks like. This is different. This is a rock ape. It's different looking. 
Another animal that was considered was the white-cheeked gibbon, but again, it didn't fit the description. And when they were shown white-cheeked gibbons to both Viet Cong soldiers, uh, people that lived in Vietnam at the time, and U.S. soldiers, all of them went, no, that's not what the rock ape is at all. Um, 1974, the general of Vietnam's People's, People's Army, he actually ordered an expedition to capture and research the rock apes, but despite finding tracks and seeing them in the distance, they couldn't kill or capture one for studies. And then years prior to the Vietnam War, a Vietnam professor did his own study and search for them and found non-human footprints. So he made castings of them in cement and the animal that made them is still unknown to this day. That's pretty cool. Um, there's a guy named Dr. John McKinnon. Grain of salt, this one, because I can't find a ton about him. He studied Vietnam's fauna for decades. He studied, he discovered many species of large mammal that were previously unclassified and according to his book, In Search of the Red Ape in 1978, he said he found similar footprints. The tracks he found had human-like toes and were around the size of the Asiatic black bear. When he asked locals about the tracks and the rumors, they told him about the Batutut, the rock ape. This human-like ape is said to be about five feet tall with matted red fur covering most of its bodies. They have an aggressive nature and are no, have known to have no fear of humans. So you might be saying, okay, Vietnam War, it's well over, well done. Why doesn't someone just do an expedition up to the Monkey Mountain now? Go up there, find the rock apes, prove that rock apes are real. Well, because that's what I thought. Um, you can still thank the Vietnam War for this because there are supposedly hundreds, if not thousands, of live landmines still in the area. So that sucks. War sucks is what I'm saying. Um, here's a rock ape story from a Vietnam War book. Grain assaulted. As the legend goes, a unit of six men from the 101st Airborne Division were resting in the jungle. Their patrol was made difficult by the train and the oppressive heat that hung thick in the air. Suddenly, the tree at the top of a hill nearby started shaking. Assuming that it was a Viet Cong ambush... The soldiers sprang into action. Their anxiety turned to confusion when an elongated head popped out from behind a tree. The creature that emerged from the jungle was about five feet tall. It was covered in red fur, save for its face, palms, knees, and the soles of his feet. The ape thing opened its huge mouth and screamed at the soldiers, dark eyes set deep in its face, filled with rage. The thing was jacked and stood comfortably on two feet, like a person. After watching the soldiers for a while, the creature disappeared back into the jungle from whence it came. Confused more than frightened, the soldiers debated the identity of the creature they had just seen. Some thought it was an orangutan. Others were quick to point out that orangutans weren't native to Vietnam. Their account first surfaced in the book, Very Crazy G.I. Strange But True Stories of the Vietnam War by Craig Jurgensen. All right, cool. Another account, this one from the diary of Robert Baird. Grain of salt, this one too. Uh, this one's often repeated everywhere. Tells of another strange encounter. In 1968, Baird's unit was stationed at a camp. That's when strange noises broke the relative silence of the night. The soldiers were unable to identify the sounds as wildlife or the enemy. One soldier, nicknamed Poncho, went to investigate the sounds. He walked up to the communications bunker, which was located atop a hill. Finding nothing, Poncho made his way back down to his troops. The other soldiers saw Poncho stop, peer at something in the woods and let off several panicked shots from his rifle. P 
Pancho raced back to the camp. He was visibly freaked out, which made sense when his, when his compatriots heard his account. According to Pancho, he noticed a bush on his way back that hadn't been there when he first passed. Leaning to check it out, the bush unfolded and grunted at him. Yeah. Grunting bushes, man. That's that's freaky. Um, there's another one. Michael Kelly of the 101st Airborne reported an encounter with hundreds of rock apes. His platoon was having lunch in a clearing when a group of eight rock apes came sauntering out of the jungle. Look, when you got a rock ape that's now sauntering out of the jungle, not sashaying, not uh, gallivanting his way out of the jungle, but sauntering out of the jungle, that's a sassy rock ape. Uh, the soldiers assumed that it was the enemy, so they lit the jungle up with everything they had. Assault rifles, grenade launchers, and a litany of swearing poured into the trees. Well, the swearing's not going to help. You have assault rifles and grenade launchers. You can't just be like, fuck you, rock apes, hoping that'll do anything. Shoot them. I mean, don't shoot them. I wouldn't shoot any of them, but I'm saying in this story. To their surprise, they saw hundreds of five-foot-tall creatures flitting between the trees. One large male rushed straight at the soldiers, fangs bared. According to Kelly, the rock apes barked like dogs the whole time. When the, me when the ape men finally fled, the soldiers explored the decimated foliage. They, they assumed they would find bodies littered all over the scene, but none were found. Not even blood remained. Uh, Michael Kelly said, This may sound very strange to you, but although I had no or little concern about killing the enemy, the killing of innocent animals turned my stomach and could enrage me if done without being, be without being a necessity. But I searched the site and I found not I found but one and but found not a drop of blood, which totally amazed me given the amount of firing that had gone on. I wonder to this day if the men were shooting just to scare the rock apes away or whether they were just poor marksmen. The men who had suffered the surprise looked a bit worse for wear, and I'm sure that few had washed their shorts out as a result of the unwelcome visit. Really scare the crap out of them, I kid you not. All right, I was gonna we're at an hour. I was gonna read you some more stories about the rock apes, but um, honestly, they're all the same. U.S. troops get rocks thrown at them. They go and investigate. They see the rock apes, or the rock apes get shot by either side. The body gets taken away by other rock apes. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Like I said, if you want to read them, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of uh, rock ape stories online, especially on Reddit. There's tons of them. Um, there are, there's actually a story about, a few stories about U.S. soldiers trying to ship a rock ape body back or body part back, only to have it searched and stopped by the U.S. government. It's, um, it's really weird. It seems like the U.S. government knew about the rock apes, and for whatever reason, they didn't want a body or body parts to make it back home. It's weird. It's a weird story. Um, <clears throat> anyhow, since the rock ape stories are all the same, let's move on to the next Bigfoot creature on this list. The next one on this list is a monster, but like Nessie, it's not a monster. There's no reason to call this one a monster either. It's Momo the Monster. That's right. For this one, we go back to July 1971 in the brush of a hillside in the Mississippi River town of Louisiana, Missouri. Their picnickers, Joan Mills and Mary Ryan reported an encountering a foul-smelling, black, man-like, seven-foot-tall monster with a pumpkin-sized head, furry body, and hair obscuring its eyes. So, of course, they freak out. They lock themselves in their car. And then they just sat and watched as Momo was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to eat all your food. 
and Momo had a little picnic. And then when the picnic was done, Momo walked back into the woods. Again, not monster-like at all. Why, why, does, why does that make Momo a monster? The next sighting, a year later, we go to June 30th, 1972 in Lincoln County. That's when two young men named Tim and Vaughn had spent the day fishing from a high bank that overlooked a low bank on the opposite side of the river. As Vaughn stood to take a break, the two noticed an awful smell in the air, and that's when Vaughn looked around and he saw, quote, what he thought was a naked, hairy hippie walking along the opposite side of the river. So Vaughn yells at Tim to look at the insanely tall, muscular, hairy hippie. Uh, and that's when Tim was like, um, hey, man, um, hippies don't look like Bigfoot. And I'm only guessing, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure he called Vaughn a fucking idiot. Had to have, because that's what I would have done. Now, both med, men said that they tried to come down the bank to get a better look, but the creature turned and charged right for them, causing the men to panic and run for their lives. Damn hippies. Then, a month later, on July 11th, 1972, two boys were playing in the backyard on the outskirts of Louisiana, Missouri. Their older sister, Doris, was in the kitchen when she said she heard her brother start screaming. So she looks out the kitchen window, and she sees a massive, dark-haired, man-like creature holding... Kurt here, trigger warning. The massive, man-like Harry Creature was holding what appeared to be a dead dog. Don't, don't like that. Uh, she described it as having a pumpkin-shaped head with large glowing eyes, black fur covering its body. Had it so much hair on its head, or fur on its head, its face could not be seen except for those glowing orange eyes. Now, you might be thinking, oh, what the hell? Bigfoot don't have glowing orange eyes. And I think based on other eyewitness testimony of this creature, it's like, you know, the eyes reflecting back at night, like when you see like an animal's eyes reflecting back at night. That does, I forget what it's called. There's a technical name for it. doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about. That is reported with Bigfoot quite a lot. So I think it's that and not like the way that this person that wrote the article made it sound like, they made it sound like, you know, like jack-o'-lantern eyes were the only things that you could see on its face. No, it's not like that. It's just that the eyes were reflecting light. Uh, she said it was at least seven foot tall, smelled terrible. Not long after the kids saw it, others started reporting Momo sightings. Momo is short for the Missouri monster, in case you need to know that. And the reports kept coming in for weeks. Reports stated that it was seen up and down the Mississippi River, with later sightings occurring farther west along other waterways. Others reported seeing something in the woods, while other witnesses said... They just smelled something terrible or heard haunting cries, growls similar to bears. Kurt here, those were probably bears. And inhuman screams. Kurt here, those were probably inhuman screams. Uh, one of the eyewitnesses was Richard Allen Murray, a lifelong local who had served as the town's fire chief and sat on the city council too. So this guy was respected in the town. He was a Momo denier. He said, there's no possible way there's a Momo in my town. But... He was driving along a small creek that runs through the middle of the town when he saw something moving in the woods. When his headlights fell on the upright creature, the creature quickly ran away and disappeared on two legs. He later stated, I was amazed to see something. I thought it was a bunch of nonsense, but then I saw something. All right. 
Media catches on to this thing. After all the reports, media ran stories about Momo sightings. And like every time, like previous one in this episode, it attracted crowds and dumb crowds and monster hunters and everybody else. At one point, a 20-person posse was put together to find and kill Momo. But again, thankfully, Momo was never found. But they did find a bunch of Momo prints. So they made casts of them. They sent them to Lawrence Curtis, director of the Oklahoma City Zoo, who said one of two things, depending on which vintage newspaper article from the time that you could find. Because I looked them all up. In one article, he said, the tracks belong to that of an unknown primate species. Or if you read another article, he says, they're a hoax. So either... They're an unknown primate species, and he's amazed, or they're a hoax. So I don't know what the hell this guy said. For the next six years, according to a 1978 follow-up story in the Columbian Missourian, the dad of the two boys, who was way too into Momo, remember those two boys that screamed, and then Doris looked out, and she saw the pumpkin eyes? That dad, the dad of those kids, was way too into Momo, And he's basically keeping Momo alive. He said that Momo returned every year, usually around July 11th. He also claimed that each spring, something tore up a kennel at a neighbor's house. Kurt here. I'm starting to think that the dad is a were-Momo. That's right. You heard it here first. That's an exclusive to Paranormal Almanac. The dad of these kids is a were-Momo. Then Momo stopped being spotted until 1991. That's when a man spied a creature about seven feet tall, somewhat hunched, and covered with black-brown hair, squatting at the edge of a creek on his property outside of Bowling Green, Missouri, not far from the other sightings. There was a brief moment of eye contact. He said the creature's face was more human than primate and not ape-like. In an instant, he said the creature leapt straight up and over, oh, leapt leapt straight up and over the roughly eight-foot-high creek bank. Said it could have been a split second. It could have been 20 minutes. You're looking at something you're told doesn't exist, but it's looking at you. That's Momo love, people. Uh, here's one of the articles. No trace of monster in Louisiana. Mo hunt. 25 men trudged over wooded hills today in what authorities said was the first monster hunt of the Missouri of this Missouri River town. I like how they have to clarify that. It's the first monster hunt of this town, but they found not even a trace of a rabbit or a squirrel, let alone the tall, shaggy beast that witnesses say something. Uh, The search party composed of the citizens and police officers assembled at City Hall about 9 a.m. and set off for Star Hill, an an area near here that is heavy in underbrush. The monster hunters were led by Louisiana Police Chief Shelby Ward, who has treated the matter like any other fugitive search. Uh, he's cool, but admittedly worried that hunters will go in search of the animal, which may believe to be a black bear, and shoot one or another by mistake. We're all convinced that there's nothing up there now, he says. Turn to page two, which I don't want, or page 12, which I don't want to do. Um, let's see, there's another article. Let me read you this article. Mm-hmm. Open up. Thank you. This article came from July 6, 2023. So it's very, very... Very new. What? I was reading it earlier. What do you mean I can't read it now? You sons of bitches. 
In the summer of 1972, Momo the Monster was making front page news. Oh, it's going to stop me from reading it. Hold on. Then I will open up another tab. Damn it. This is a good article about Momo. Here we go. I'll try to read it as quickly as possible so it doesn't kill me. Um, nobody's going to let Edgar Her- Harrison believe that his, him or his wife, Betty, or his daughter, Doris, this is that guy I was telling you about, that Momo-loving dude, um, uh, that they're wrong. This is Betty Harrison, Hutchins' sister-in-law, and her seven children have moved in with the Hutchins and his wife. Mr. Her- Mrs. Harrison says she'll never go back up there to the Harrison house on Allen Street at the foot of Marzoth Hill. Hutchins, 56-year-old, was a service station attendant until he suffered a minor stroke. He lives on Georgia Street in town. He hasn't seen the monster, but he's heard it, and he smelled it too. He says the odor is worse than any old goat that you've ever smelled, and I've smelled some old goats, I'm assuming, he said. It growls like it's a bear, but a bear doesn't run on two feet. Doris, 15, and Terry Keith, 8, saw the thing in their backyard, which uh, leads to the woods on the hill. It was right by the tree, uh, six or seven feet tall, black and hairy. It stood like a man, but it didn't look like one to me. Doris said the thing was a week ago last Tuesday afternoon. She was home watching the other Harrison children while her father was at work at the Department of Public Works, and her mother was at the cafe the Harrisons have been running on Main Street. Cafe's closed now. Too much trouble with all the kids, she said. Okay, that's out of nowhere. She said... um, Terry and Wally Paul, he's five years old, were out in the back with Chubby the dog. When I heard Terry start screaming, I look out the bathroom window and I saw it. I started crying and I ran in the other room to call mom on the telephone. And then she and dad came on home. Mrs. Harrison interrupted her daughter. You left out a part. You forgot to tell how Terry Keith's face was so white when he got in the house you couldn't see a freckle. Lady's got some opinions on stuff. Um, Terry Keith is a red-haired <laughs> with a considerable numbers of freckles. Whatever Terry Keith saw, his brother Wally Paul didn't. Ever since that Tuesday night of last week, Shelley Ward, Shelby Ward, the police chief, has had a bad time. Many a night he's come and called out of bed to go up on the hill to investigate things people hear. Yesterday morning, Ward got out about two dozen men together and made three passes up that hill. We didn't find a thing. I hope that ends it. However, the search party wasn't back sitting in the shade on Clyde's Estes front stoop for more than 20 minutes when a new report came in. Up at the restaurant, they're saying, we didn't find any trace of the thing because it's got a big tail that swept away its footprints. Okay, come on now. Clark, a member of the fire department, had been on the hunt. When Doris Harrison said the thing was only six or seven feet tall, she was contradicting other reports which said the monster had grown between seven and 12 feet tall. The Mississippi River town in Pike County, with about 5,000 persons, is generally conservative. Aren't all small towns conservative, he said? Okay. These people here don't get excited about things. The whole story is a lot of malarkey, said another man who drives a taxi cab. You can put out one word right here, and by the time it gets around the block, you've got a dictionary, he said. Uh, let me keep going. I'm skipping ahead now. There's a whole lot of Mayberry kind of, you know, people, townspeople that are talking in this article. We're having a regular church meeting at my house when we all heard it. It was kind of like a loud growling noise. We heard it three times. Then it seemed like it was hurt or something. It gave out a large yelp. It sounded like a gorilla. That's what it is, a Bigfoot. I heard they got one in California and one up in Canada. Sure, uh-huh. Hey, it gets really stupid at the end of this article. So there you go. That, uh, there's, your, there's your Momo stuff for this, uh, this episode. 
That's all the Momo. There is no Momo. Wait. With Momo, no Mo. There we go. With no Momo. Oh, I can't do it. With Momo, no Mo. There we go. Let's call it um, for this week's edition on Momo. Um, how about that? How about we end it there? Because I already have, oh, it's over an hour long. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tired of saying the words Momo. So with that, um, what do you guys think? When do you think we'll have proof of a Bigfoot? Do you think that we're going to, it's going to take someone fucking shooting a Bigfoot and killing it to get us that proof? Or do you think that we can do that with, you know, DNA or blood sample or something like that? Um, which Bigfoot do you think will be the first one to be scientifically proven? Leave that in the comments below. Do you think it's going to be the Sasquatch of North America, the Yeti, the Yowie, the or Orang Pendek, the Momo, the Rock Apes of Vietnam, the Swamp Ape, the Skunk Ape? You tell me, because once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savick, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Thanks for watching. Make sure you click like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're only listening to this, I love you all. Thank you so much.